And uh, Rick, tell us a little bit about your role with the Great Lakes District. Well, the Evangelical Free Church that you're a part of has around 1,500 churches across the country, and we're also global. There's 500 free churches in Germany. There's eight or 900 in Congo. There's over 100 in the Hong Kong area. So we really are a global movement going back to Swedish immigrants who traveled around the world in the 1800s and brought the Evangelical Free Church to America back then. And since then, we've grown and now we have 20 Hispanic churches in Chicago, and we have around that same number of ethnic churches, and we have a staff team of 15, and we serve 200 churches across five states, so we have a lot going on. We have 25 new church plants, so very grateful for all God's doing in our churches. Yeah, you know, for many of you, you may not see the connection with the free church as much as Myself or Dan or Kirk do being involved on staff, um, but just know it's it's a really healthy thing for us and a great benefit to me personally. Rick, you've been a great benefit and help to me personally and to our church, and so thank you mm-hmm. and look forward to hearing from you this morning. Very good. Yeah, let's welcome Rick. Thanks, Josh. Okay, if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Psalm 92. I think it might also be on the screen. I'm going to be reading from the uh, New International Version. Before I read that passage, I just want to share a little personal word of why I chose this psalm. This summer, I turned 65 years of age. I praise the Lord for the long life he's given me compared to my dad who died at 57 and uh, thankfully he had just become a Christian. But 65, what is that number? It's kind of weird. I mean, it's just a number. But um, I've never had as many fears and worries about the future as I have right around this uh, turning of 65, and their fears oftentimes related to having the energy to fulfill the many responsibilities that I have. I have fears of falling short of my own expectations, but this psalm has spoken hope to me. And no matter how old you are today or no matter what your fears might be, I really uh, pray that this psalm will speak hope to you as well. Uh, We were missionaries in uh, the former Soviet Union, went there right after the the wall fell, and uh, we served the Moscow Bible Church. And the Russians have a great tradition. Uh, Maybe you do it at at times too, but before the reading of the word, all God's people stand. So I'd ask you to stand as I read from Psalm 92. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord, And I sing for joy at the work of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound your thoughts. 
The senseless man does not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish and all evildoers will be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me and my eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries and my ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. Father, thank you for gathering us together. Thank you for your great work in this place. Thank you, Father, for the leaders, for each of the people. We exalt you, O God, today. We put our trust in you because of all that you've done for us, that we see especially, Father, in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us and in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The word psalm in Hebrew literally means praises. And Jewish writers tell us that this psalm, Psalm 92, was often sung on the Sabbath day in the temple as the first unblemished lamb was offered as a sacrifice. And so this is a Sabbath psalm. And that lamb, of course, pointed to the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come and take away the sins of the whole world. And so this psalm, this Sabbath psalm, this psalm of praises, can be broken into two parts. First, verses 1 through 8, and that'll be our first attention this morning where the psalmist tells us it's good to sing praises to you, O Lord, for you are exalted. That's the first eight verses. And then verses 9 to the end kind of take a turn we wouldn't expect. And we'll look at that in a minute. Well, the psalmist says, it's good to praise the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. I don't know about you, but I will often wake up in the morning and I'll have some responsibility staring me in the face, or I'll have some fear or worry that's crept into my heart and steals my joy. But if I'll go and 
read God's word and pray and praise and have a good cup of coffee as well for me. It's really amazing how, as the psalmist says here, he again makes my heart glad because I'm thinking about his love and his faithfulness and not just my failings or my responsibilities. And so it's so important to praise the Lord in the morning and in the evening. And as I was thinking about this, it's also important to praise him for the yes answers that he gives to us when we pray and ask for things and he says yes, but also the things when we say no and when he says no. A couple of years ago, there was something I really, really wanted And I prayed for this again and again. And finally, the answer came decisively, no. And I asked our daughter, who's a singer-songwriter, to write a song about it. And it's one of my favorites. It's called A Thousand Thank You Notes, because in retrospect, I felt like sending God a thousand thank you notes for saying no. So we can praise him for the yes, so we can praise him for the no in the morning. And I like Ruth Calkin's poem that I ran across recently. Lord, day after day, I thank you for saying yes. But when have I genuinely thanked you for saying no? Yet I shudder to think of the possible smears, the cumulative blots on my life had you not been sufficiently wise to say an unalterable no. So thank you for saying no. When the temptation that enticed me would have bound me beyond escape, thank you for saying no when I ask you to leave me alone. Above all, thank you for saying no when in anguish I asked If I give you all else, may I keep this? Lord, my awe increases when I see the wisdom of your divine no. And so we praise the Lord, for he is exalted in the yeses and the noes, in the morning and in the evening. And it's good to praise the Lord, the psalmist says, with music. It is good to praise the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. The ten-string lyre was a larger instrument, probably like, I think of a piano, although it wasn't exactly like that, it was more of a harp. It's found 27 times in Scripture. And the harp that's mentioned here is the smaller instrument, the canor. It's used 42 times in Scripture, and it's David's harp. It was the harp of shepherds. It was the harp that people used to sing for joy, and it's the harp that went silent when they were in captivity. And so it's good to praise the Lord with music. Who's your... uh, favorite praise band, or what's your favorite album of hymns of praise? I was thinking about our kids growing up, and they really loved Amy Grant, and she really blew up in 1982 with a big album, and then Michael W. Smith was actually her pianist at the start, 
Maybe you've heard their names and Michael Card. They were favorites of our kids. And recently, it's more recently, it's been groups like Third Day and Hillsong and Chris Tomlin and Mercy Me. And I want to give you a little recommendation. There's a new movie out, and it's called I Can Only Imagine. And it's based on the uh, Christian song that Mercy Me wrote. Have any of you seen this movie? Yeah, wasn't it good? If you haven't seen this movie... Um, it's one of the, it's really a powerful Christian movie and testimony, and it's based around this song of praise that Mercy Me wrote. And so maybe over lunch you could uh, share, what's your favorite praise band? Mine is Jesus Culture. And what's your favorite praise hymn? Mine is Your Love Never Fails. So maybe over lunch, share a little bit about the praise music, the hymn, your favorite hymn. And that's what the psalmist is talking about here. But this is so critical. For it's good to praise the Lord, for he is exalted, and to praise him in the morning and the evening and with music and in the presence of your enemies. Verse 4, for you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord, how profound your thoughts. The word here, thoughts, is the Hebrew word weavings. And it points to the fact that God weaves together his thoughts and his plans and his purposes. And he weaves them together with all that's going on on planet Earth, all that he does, and all that we have is thoughts and deeds and actions, and God weaves them together, and the tapestry looks like a mess from the back, but on the front, when it will be revealed in eternity, it will bring glory to him. So the psalmist thinks about God's works and God's weavings, and then he thinks about the senseless man. The senseless man does not know. Fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. As I read this psalm and studied it in the last weeks, I thought about a man who's kind of famous because of CNN who illustrates this sadly, this tragic story. He was born in New Jersey, raised without religion. His family was Catholic on one side, Jewish on his mother's. He married his high school sweetheart in 1985, but then divorced her in 2005 and described the divorce as the, of his wife as the great betrayal of his life. A former user of cocaine, heroin, and LSD, he wrote a book called Kitchen Confidential that became a huge bestseller and, cult and catapulted him, him, in, him into fame, even though he said that while they were at the restaurant, they were high all the time, sneaking off to the refrigerator at every opportunity. Hardly a decision was made without drugs. Anthony Bourdain at 60 was an imposing, tall, six-foot-four, lean, a famous CNN uh, TV host now. His show, Parts Unknown, made him a huge celebrity in 2013. He had a child with an Italian waitress. 
but the marriage didn't survive his 200 days a year on the road with CNN. He said to a New York magazine in 2017, I change locations every two weeks. The kind of care and feeding required of friends I frankly am incapable of. I'm just not there. I'm not going to remember your birthday. I'm not going to be there for the important moments in your life. We're not going to reliably hang out no matter how much I feel about you. For 15 years, more or less, I've been traveling 200 days a year, and I make very good friends a week at a time. Then maybe you read on June 8, 2018, Bourdain was found dead of an apparent suicide by hanging in his hotel room in Kaisersburg, France. His body showed so not, no signs of violence, and the toxicology reports were negative for narcotics. But the psalmist sees here what sometimes we forget, and that is that the senseless and the, the foolish can sprout like grass and flourish for a season. But in the end, they're scattered. No relationships and destroyed. And so this first section is a wrap as the psalmist says, but you, O Lord, are exalted forever. Now we would expect the psalmist to praise the name of the Lord. And in fact, the sacred name of the Lord, Jehovah, is used seven times in this psalm. But now the psalm takes a turn that maybe we wouldn't expect. For now, the psalmist says in verse 9, For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish, and all overdoer and all evildoers will be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. And what struck me here is, is that we would expect the psalmist to sing praises that the Lord is exalted, almost high. But now the psalmist marvels at the fact that God also exalts us. And it's good to praise the Lord because you've exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. And so it's good to praise the Lord that exalts us and he exalts us, first of all, with strength to face our foes. Wild oxen roamed the hills of the Holy Land hundreds of years ago. Like the buffalo in North America, their horns were a symbol of strength. They were fierce. They were untamable. They were a wild ox. And the psalmist praises God who is exalted and he marvels that he would exalt you and me so that we can face our foes, so that we can face his enemies, and we can face, as the psalmist goes on in verse 11, my eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries, and my ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. He says not, does, God does not only exalt himself in the face of his enemies but, and in the presence of his enemies, but also in the presence of ours. He gives us strength in the face of our foes. 
And those foes come outside. Sometimes it's because people reject us. Sometimes there's somebody who just doesn't like us. Sometimes there's someone who sets themselves against us and they're an adversary to us. And sometimes the foe is within. It's a fear that we have. It's a problem that we have. It's a failing that we have. And whether our enemies are within or without, the psalmist praises God that he will exalt us. He is worthy of our praise because he makes all the difference. As I thought about adversaries everywhere and wicked foes who surround me, I can't say that that's really my life, but I thought of somebody that I've read a lot about that I was reminded of. And in uh, Culture Care, a book by Mako Fujimura, he tells the story of Mahalia Jackson, who died in 1972. Maybe some of you remember that she was the queen of gospel music. Harry Belafonte called her the most powerful black woman in the United States until her death in 1972. She recorded 30 albums of gospel music. Twelve of them were gold. And she said, I sing God's music because it makes me feel free. It gives me hope. While the blues, when you're finished, you're still blue. And so the gospel singer, Mahalia Jackson, was invited to sing ahead of the historic moment of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in his speech in Washington, D.C., before hundreds of thousands of people. We've all, all seen pictures of his, of his famous message there of I Have a Dream. And what I'd never read before was that Mahalia Jackson sang and then Dr. King came up and he was exhausted. He had been fighting forces of hate. He had been fighting forces of darkness. He had been fighting the demons within. For like King David, he had his own moral failures that he was facing. Enemies within, enemies without. And he came to this speech and he was utterly exhausted. And he wrote something of a text and he stood to deliver it. And then Mahalia Jackson, when he saw, she saw that he was struggling and needed strength, she said to him, quietly behind him, Martin, tell them the dream. Martin, tell them the dream. And then Dr. King gave one of the most famous speeches in the history of America. And even though, like King David, he had his moral failures, it was praise that strengthened him in the face of his foes, the praise of the Lord. And Jackson said that her music, Mahalia Jackson said that her music was to break down the hate and the fear that divides us. And that's one thing that praise by all people Praising the Lord 
one thing it can do. So it's good to praise the Lord because he exalts not only himself, but he'll even exalt us in the face of foes and in the face also of our fears of the future. And so the psalmist goes on in verse 12, the righteous will flourish. And I want to pause on that word, the righteous. You know, when we read the word, the righteous, at first glance, it can make us feel like, well, that leaves me out. I'm not righteous. I've been senseless. I've been foolish. I've done evil things. I've been an adversary and an enemy of God. But the amazing good news is that this Lamb of God takes away our sin. This Lamb of God who was sinless and unblemished, who was righteous in all that he did, offers to us when we repent and turn away from our sin and we receive him. He says that we can now be clothed in his righteousness so the Father sees us as righteous, not in and of ourselves, but in him. This last year, we celebrated the beginning of the Protestant Reformation with the nailing of the 95 Thesis to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany by Martin Luther. It's kind of interesting to go online and read through these 95 Theses, so many of them related to his own day, but my favorite one is number 62, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. And Luther knew that grace and how it had transformed his life and how he discovered a righteousness that was not his own, but the righteousness that belonged to Christ. And he writes in his commentary of Genesis 50, Thus formerly I was a monk and I used to hope in fasting and prayers and vigils. But the more I sweat, the less quiet and peace I felt. I was without faith. I thought the death of Christ pertained only to original sin. Now we have to work it all out. But we should learn and cling firmly to the fact that there is no rest or peace for the bones of sinners except by faith alone, the faith that looks at Christ alone, lifted on the cross. This is the faith that does it. This is the faith of praise. This is the faith that gets us beyond and gives us strength in the face of our foes and strength to face the future. And so the psalmist says, the righteous, not that we're righteous in ourselves, but always in, in Christ and his righteousness. The righteousness, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Palm trees are interesting. They're known as the queen of trees. They're slender and sway in the wind and and song of Solomon. The Shunammite woman is referred to as being like a palm tree. In the wind, they do not break, they only bend. The roots of palm trees go down as far as the tree goes up. And one thing I found very interesting about palm trees as I studied them is that they don't come to maturity until they're 40 or 50 years old, and many of them live to be 100 years old, and the fruit of a palm tree gets fresher 
and fresher and more and more tasty the older the palm tree is. And so the psalmist says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. And this, of course, is the great tree of the forest of Lebanon that Solomon built the temple from. And their girth could be as much as 40 inches wide. They could reach a height of 100 feet. And so the psalmist says that a righteous older woman slender like a palm tree, and a godly man can be like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord, flourishing in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. Fresh and green. Isn't that a great picture to think about? Rather than kind of gnarly and hard to get along with, that we would be fresh and green till the end of our lives. Spurgeon wrote, aged believers have a ripe experience. Even if bedridden, they bear the fruit of patience. And every older Christian is a letter of commendation to the fidelity of Jehovah. As I read that, I thought about my mother. She's 93. And outside, her palm trees getting older and older. But it really is true that there is a patience there. There's a perseverance there. There's a beauty in the fruit of her spirit from within, even though she can't remember what happened yesterday and can't remember if my brother visited two days ago. But yet inside, she's still fresh and green. And so it is we don't have to fear the future. Winston Churchill was 65 years old when he was called to lead the Battle of Britain. Moses was 80 when he saw the burning bush. Ben Franklin signed the Declaration of Independence at 70 and the Constitution at 80. Mother Teresa won the Nobel Prize at 69. And Luke, according to tradition, died at 84. And so isn't it true, as the psalmist says, that even in old age we can stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So I'd like to close with two illustrations or applications for you. If you're younger here today, I'd encourage you to to listen to the psalmist. That when we praise the Lord for his weavings and his works, even if we don't understand them, he can make us glad. In the face of our fears, he can give us strength. And whatever it is inside that we struggle with, praise can strengthen us as we turn our attention away from our little lives to the greatness of our God. And then an application for those of us who are older, may we get sweeter with old age. You know, some senior saints don't age well. They're like old dried up trees with no fruit. 
They've grown bitter over the years. They rehearse resentments rather than praising the Lord. Their hurts are unhealed and their faces are hard. But by God's grace, may we be like this palm tree and this tree of Lebanon in our old age, fresh and green. And just as a palm tree is upright, may we say the Lord is upright. And just as the tree of Lebanon is like a rock providing shade for everything under its branches, may we say the Lord is our rock. And may we always testify that indeed we can trust him because there is no unrighteousness in him. Father, we do praise you this day, and we thank you for these psalms, these hymns of the Hebrew nation. We thank you for their genuine faith in Jehovah, the grapples with the real issues of life. And Father, we uh, thank you that even if we have fears and foes that seem overwhelming at times, oh Lord, we praise you that you are the one who can make us glad as we think of your weavings and as we think of your works and your greatest work of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.